Podcast ain't played nobody. Feels good, man. Feels good. I wrote something a little bit with other writers on the website, but I'm back at work officially because I was on the show with you, my friend Bill, last week, unofficially. I just dropped in to shake oh. off the cabin fever of paternity leave, but I'm back, and I wrote it a little thing um, about coaches on that old hot seat up there because we talked about the hot seat last week. Well, and this was a perfect Slack-based comment. It was a conversation in Slack, and then... As is customary, either Jason Kirk or Brian Floyd says, hey, uh, put that on the site, and then it got put on the site. So Always making us do work. Um, yeah, so uh, as we truck along through your previews and enter the, um, I'd say the questionable area of the, the Pacific 12 Conference, uh, <laughs> we we put up a thing. Um, it, was, it was Bud Elliott's idea, because he was looking at Vegas odds, on over-unders over under win totals for 2017 on certain teams. He then picked out the teams that we think have coaching controversies, coaching questions, whatever. Um, and so they were, I'll do them real fast, Michigan State, Texas Tech, Arizona, Nebraska, Auburn, Texas A&M, and UCLA. We talked, oh, and then also Tennessee. We talked a little bit about Arizona last week on the show. Um, we're going to talk about Cal. We're, um, we're also going to talk about UCLA today. Um, I, if you listen to podcasting and play nobody, I think I have spoken on every single one of these as far as like, I, so I got to bring a little reportage in on like what I've heard about these jobs. But I think as I scroll through here, Bill, I've told everyone on the show, like if you listen to the show, I'm probably going to drop what I know here first. I mean, we, so like Nebraska, I, t- I talked about, there will be a push for Scott Frost if UCF wins. I think we already talked about that when we did the AAC preview, didn't I? Seems like it, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I know last week on the show we talked about Texas Tech and, you know, Lincoln Riley being a hot name there. And one thing actually we didn't talk about was you got Sonny Dykes too, who's just like an analyst at TCU this year. Um, but for the purpose of this podcast, to yes. tie it into our journey along the, the season preview road, the University of California at Los Angeles. Bill, if this was a different program... This would be a. I feel like we'd have a lot more attention on the inconsistency of one Jim Mora or Jim L. Mora or Jim L. Mora Jr., whatever he's going by this week. Um, the second. Actually, I think it's Jim Mora the second. God. No, it's, no, it's not. It's not. It's not going to be. Um, you did a preview on UCLA. I wrote that um, the conversation now at UCLA is going to be less about Mora and what his body less of work. About, less about Mora. <laughs> like a morning talk show. I'm I'm dropping puns and you're popping for puns I didn't even mean to make. Um, so less about what Mora's done in his body of work in, in Westwood and more about, okay, we know that the Pac-12 it, it can be a certain quality. We're post-network boom in terms of facilities and all that stuff. You're in L.A. and then like, oh, Chip Kelly is just hanging out at ESPN <laughs> this year. Um, so I think it becomes more about what UCLA could be in a different circumstance than really necessarily what more has got going um but this is an interesting job and this is one that i think could be um uh i don't know if it would open first bill because i would like i feel like a weird one would open first like old miss or something but this one i feel like it's gonna be open yeah i mean you, what's funny is you said his inconsistency he was actually until last year he was the most consistent ucla coach since donahue in the mid 80s like they 
um, were for three straight years. I mean, obviously they only won eight games in 2015, but they were top 20 in S&P. Like they were a legitimate, they were actually almost living up to their recruiting rankings, um, which is kind of a rarity. Do you think, uh, that, do you think the perception is of inconsistency comes not from like what UCLA is versus what UCLA, like it's more about what we expect them to be? Um, I mean, I guess. They were a hype team for a lot. I mean, when Moore got there, they were a hype team because of recruiting, because of the quarterbacks, and then inevitably they're going to take a couple early licks in conference play, and I think that's why we labeled them inconsistent. Well, they were. I mean, I don't know about we. I, I never labeled them inconsistent, but I mean, they not came out you like like first, dumb journalists like me. That first we, three years they went nine and five, ten and three, ten and three. I mean, if you want to pick that apart, fine. But I mean, the last the what six years before that they had gone seven wins, six, four, seven, four, and six. Like they they were doing awesome and they were recruiting well. And I think the the trick was like I mean. You know, I said they're good. They're good on paper in 2015, but they only went eight and five. That never actually works out very well for you in terms of narrative. When you're good on paper, you you actually have to win. And so, I mean, I think the I don't want to say the buzzard started circling, but there there was discontent at that point, even if they were still a good team. Yes. And even though they they were eight and five with a freshman quarterback, I mean that you know that was still relatively impressive. I thought, but then, you know, I think. Your coordinator hires kind of bet- betray a d- another side of you a little bit. Like Mark Richt, I, I, I will defend Mark Richt to death. I will continue to do so. I did so for many years at Georgia, but he did hire a Schottenheimer. You know, he did, he did look at an open coordinator gig. I mean, he had the most underrated coordinator in the country in, in uh, Mike Bobo. And then he said, okay, hmm, who can I get here? Uh, I, I have my pick of the litter when it comes to young up and coming offensive coordinators. Actually, I'm going to go with Brian Schottenheimer. Like, it, 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 it reveals part of your decision making that might or might not have, have shown up on the field to a certain degree. I'm sorry, yeah, I just I just had a small seizure. And sorry, I re- sorry, I should have I should have warned you that was coming. No, no, no. no. Um, I had a small seizure and remembered that at one point Gene Chizik thought that he was going to save his tenure at Auburn with. The hire of Brian Van Gorder and Scott yeah. Loeffler. Right. I, well, I mean, Brian Kelly, like, I'll, I'll defend his performance. I'm not going to defend him, but I'll defend his performance overall. But he also thought, you know, okay, I lost my, um, you know, I lost Bob Diaco. I need to go find a new defensive coordinator. Actually, this Van Gorder guy looks pretty interesting. I mean, what the hell? Like, that's, but that's kind of what happened at UCLA last year. He got, a, he made a pretty decent um, defensive coordinator hire in Tom Bradley a couple of years ago. I mean, they're still not, performing defensively you know like they recruit but they're up to 26th in defensive S&P plus that last year that's better than I mean that's the best they've had in three years uh they they made headway on that in that regard and now they've recruited like crazy to the point where they did lose some guys last year but every hole has a blue chipper to fill it they could have a pretty good defense this year but he had his he lost uh what's his name his offensive coordinator to A&M uh Mazzoni no Mazzoni the journeyman OC and, and he could have replaced him with any number of guys, and he decided to promote uh, Kennedy Palomalu to, uh, from running backs coach to offensive coordinator, which, I mean, hey, that happens sometimes. You, you, know, you pr- promote from within. Yeah. Uh, but, but all you could really get out of Palomalu in the offseason about what his defense was going to look like was, uh, was you know, general like coach-style gibberish and the word toughness. 
Um, they were going to use fullbacks and tight ends. They're going to be they're going to be a tough offense. Uh, they were a tough offense that couldn't even slightly run the football. Like the worst power conference rushing team in the country with four stars on the offensive line and five stars in the backfield. Like just wretched. But then like you combine that with the fact that. You know, so then he realizes real quickly, well, this isn't going to work out. I need to bring in another guy. He, he hires Jed Fish, which is fine. Um, and then he justifies it I like that by, say, by saying that uh, nobody who runs the spread offense has ever won a national title, uh, which is 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 not even slightly true. And then, he ju- and then he justifies it by saying that he thinks of spread offense as four wide receivers, which um, that makes is, a ton of sense there, Jim. Just I, I mean, perfectly sound logic. So this is another thing like where on paper, if I didn't know anything about that quote or, or, or anything like that, if I if I didn't know about his line of thinking uh, in replacing Mazzoni the last two years, like if I just looked on paper and saw that they have a lot coming back, Josh Rosen's healthy again, um, and so on and so forth. They, you know, they've recruited well. They continue to recruit well. They have stars on defense. Uh, Rosen in a good receiving core. It all looks like this is a perfect bounce back opportunity but I can't shake what I've heard. <laughs> you know, what the, the, the things he said, uh, even going back to lecturing Josh Rosen and whatnot, and just, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to trust Jim Mora. By the way, if you want to, uh, if you want to test that theory about spread offenses, go back and look at the offenses of the, um, the four teams in the NFC and AFC championship last year and how often that they ran sets out of four wide. Cause you know, Steelers, Patriots, Falcons, Packers. We think spread. That's what we think. Well, I, I mean, I realize like that's not what Steve Spurrier was doing exactly, but the whole spread the field and and throw everywhere and everything like the word is dead. Can, the word has been dead for like four years. Uh, and and then the the word the, the the phrase pro style is also dead, but we continue to use Correct. that too. So yeah. I think pro style will always be to a group of people like a two back under center formation with like a motion man which is what i'm describing is not really pro it could be something else but that that look i think will always be what you'll hear like on on sports talk radio and stuff um i don't want to get off into the spread debate is but the i completely agree with you in that it's another it's just another incident in his file of like he never it was weird because he was so contrarian to a lot of a lot of the things about college football that you thought would make you successful. Like his had a really so he had like a really combative approach with the media, but also with like boosters and people. And you kind of thought, well, like how's he going to recruit to that? But he did for a while, and then it's it's kind of fallen apart. He never really seemed like he wanted to be a college coach. I know, like he said years ago, he said all that stuff on the radio about wanting to to coach at UW because that's his alma mater. But like. This has all just been, I feel like, a slow burn. He is a good football coach who is just hampered by a a massive ego, an ego that's larger than, I mean, disproportionate <laughs> even for a coach's ego. And I think and it the starts there. The recruiting really hasn't fallen yet. I mean, so that I mean, as long as the recruiting is good, you've got a base of talent you can turn things around with. But yeah, we got. I, I just. When the run game's that bad, like nothing else matters until they figure out how to get like four yards per carry. As USC um, clicks up and it looks like they've made a series of, of correct decisions, I think you're going to see the recruiting start to taper off. His, re- his reputation in recruiting circles is, is, is pretty abysmal. By the way, Noel Mazzoni, 
I challenge anyone out there to try and find me a current, an active working offensive coordinator who has worked worked for as many um, Power Five teams as Noel Mazzoni has. Because off the top <laughs> of my head, I can tell you. Uh, he worked at Ole Miss twice. He worked at Auburn. He worked at Arizona State. He works at Texas A&M. He's worked at UCLA, and I think I'm missing one. Uh, I just pulled up his Wikipedia page. He was also quarterbacks coach at TCU in Minnesota. Thank you. And, and NC, okay, so NC went, State. That was the one I was thinking of because yeah. he was there when uh, uh, Ryan. No, uh, Laserface. Philip Rivers was there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, I mean, so he's a New Mexico grad, New Mexico GA, Colorado State quarterbacks coach, TCU quarterbacks coach, Minnesota quarterbacks, Ole Miss OC, Auburn OC, Oregon State OC, oh, wow. NC State OC, Ole Miss OC again, two years with the Jets as receivers coach, or three years with the Jets, one year as Panther Creek High School offensive coordinator, uh, and then two years with Arizona State, four years with UCLA, and, and now his second year with A&M. The weird part there is, I mean, he was there four years with UCLA. Usually he gets the itch and moves before then. By the way, top five coach in the business that you would want to have a drink with. Absolutely <laughs> hilarious guy. Very, very funny. Good storyteller. So uh, before we move off of UCLA, I did want to – this is actually – right before we went on, I, I found this comment in, in my UCLA preview uh, in the – in the comments, it actually fascinates me. So, um, uh, Crying Roger is the, the guy's handle. Uh, Josh Rosen is the new Chris Sims. It's a good thing Rosen had those great camps when he was 15. So, I'm almost positive he meant that as a massive insult uh, to like to comparing him to Chris Sims. Um, I, I, I mean, that's certainly how I took it initially because that's the, that's what Chris Sims' reputation became and whatnot. Uh, Chris Sims threw for 7,000 yards, uh, threw for 58 touchdowns and basically three, three seasons, three and change, um, and ended up going in three years as a start and on and off. He got benched a couple times, I guess. Uh, but he was 31 and seven as, as Texas's starter. And they came within about a half of the, uh, the national title game in a one. So I don't know what my point here is. I don't want to necessarily defend Chris Sims because I didn't really, I, I, you know, it's, it's fun watching certain, you know, the, the, the blue chippers fall and all that. I realize, but he's not that bad. And Josh Rosen is, is the, the way he was able to uh, pull off a bunch of passing down success as a true freshman. I think he's still got time to be pretty awesome. And, um, you know, obviously he didn't have anything to do with the way they fell apart the second half of last year. Cause he was on the sideline. Um, is Chris Sims? I don't really do superlatives, and I don't do debates. Uh, but is Chris Sims the best quarterback destroyed by a rivalry? <laughs> so if like, you pull out Red River, is he like? I think if you judge Chris Sims absent Red River, it's a completely different conversation. I don't um, know of another quarterback that I can think of. Actually, I do. Dak Prescott. Uh, but that's not quite the same level. I don't think it's locally. It is obviously, but your God, um, Bill, you just said Dak Prescott wasn't as important as Chris Sims. No, the Ole Miss Mississippi State rivalry isn't as important nationally as OU Texas is what I was saying. Because if you're you God, Bill, you just said I, the Egg Bowl. I, let's put I'm, it this way: I'm under let's put the it, no, 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 no. Let's put it this way: I didn't know that Dak Prescott was ruined by the Egg Bowl. That's new to me. All I remember about him in the Egg Bowl is when he led, when he was hurt and he led them on a comeback his that first year. Like I, I didn't, I don't think that's a thing nationally. Well, I think he was but, one and two in the Egg Bowl. Well, yeah, okay. 
Uh, I mean, got, that's got absolutely rocked in one of them. Um, but that's still not that's not OU Texas in the early two oh, thousands. Wow. You pissed off state fans, and then you clarified, and you pissed off an entire state of I, SEC fans. I, I'm I'm okay. I, I'm okay with my opinions here. Chris Sims lost sixty three fourteen to Oklahoma in two thousand, and then got Roy Williams in that fourteen to three loss in two thousand. I will never that's forget worse. that play. It's one that's of the worst. Like I know we talk about um, what do you call the what do you call the Nebraska Missouri play? Is it the kick? The flea kicker. Flea kicker, that's right. So, like, I know that you have a flea kicker in your mind. I, I don't have a rooting interest in in Red River, but for whatever reason, I'll know. Like, I remember where I was. I remember freaking out. Like, that play. It was, it was just a physically impressive play. And the way it was, I just remember it was on, I'm sure it was on ABC. They shot, I think they shot the play from the end zone because they were backed yeah. up. God, it was unbelievable. No, oh, I was. I, I remember, like, I was in Stillwater getting ready to go to the OSU uh, Missouri football game. We were watching it in a friend of mine's uh, apartment, and yeah, no, it's and it's one of those where the best plays are the ones where you don't completely know what you saw when you watch it live, and then on replay you go, "Oh my god!" And that's that was that play. You're like, you you see him flying in, ball comes up. You're like, "Wait, did was his arm going forward? What was that about?" Oh my god! Yeah. By the way, I think we've actually already talked about this recently. About yes, I'm pretty sure, play. but I was going with it because I love telling that story. It's just amazing. It's awesome. Um, uh, Bill, Bill, Bill. So UCLA. <laughs> yes. Um, I really again, I don't like to get in the business of like he's hired, he's fired, da da da. It's just it, it's it's a oh, job. Oh yes, you it's do. Yes, you do. Yes, no, you do. Privately, privately, I do. You just, <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't. Like, hey, Bill, don't pull the curtain back. Yes, privately, we all look. People would be stunned to know a lot of things that happen that we discuss privately. <laughs> I am not the kind of person who wants to get out there week by week and be like, this guy on my hot seat, like. You know, there are obvious ones. Last year, I think Jason had me write something every after every single Texas game last year, but that was because <laughs> the entire nation was discussing it. UCLA is a really interesting job. They have won zero conference titles under Jim Mora. They had a really good window to win multiple conference titles under Jim Mora. I'm any curious. Any, any hired Kennedy, Paul Muller, yeah. I mean, yes, that was... I'm. I'm really curious if UCLA makes a big bold move, and not just with Chip Kelly, but this is an attractive job. And yeah, it's one of those situations where Mora made it even a little more attractive because he shook I really... off. I mean, he shook off a lot of the the stereotypes around the UCLA culture in football. What's funny is, so, like, I did that, um, the USC and UCLA piece a couple of years ago, got to go out to L.A. finally. I had a reason to go out to L.A. for my job, which was amazing, but... Um, it's like us going to Boston for our job. It's never going to happen. Oh, whatever. I go to Boston every year. Oh, you go for the nerd thing, <laughs> but, like... Hey, 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 I'm... T- it counts. Paul Slattery, um, our NBA reporter, he's always like, yeah, man, like, when you, you know, when work takes you up to Boston, let's, let's go to beer. And I was like, Paul, I cover college football. When am I ever going to go to Boston? I'm never going to go to Boston. I have had a beer with Paul Flannery for my job. Um, because you yeah, went so, to the nerd thing. Yes, you should go to the nerd thing. It's fun. Um, Bill, I we, can't balance a checkbook. What am I going to do there? Well, we get, yeah, we could have a PAPN Does Boston. Um, hey, by the way, I saw anyway, on, there's a couple of people doing live podcasts. I'm just going to throw this out there. One, I need, all right, I want to ask two questions to the audience real fast. Would you come <laughs> if we did it live? But also, where the hell are we going to do it? Because I don't know where our listeners are based. I mean, I know that we have partic- like, I can shout out that we have particular listeners in particular states, right? Like, I know that I know we have Michigan State fans and Wisconsin fans, and I know that we have 
you know, um, Georgia State fans, and I like specifically shout out to our guys. Like we know where certain our certain vocal fans are, but I don't know where like the bulk of our listeners are. So if we were to do this, where would we do it, Bill? Uh, in the last thirty days, our top locations for listening, and this doesn't actually help at all because it's exactly where is this coming from what we've talked about before and and everything else. Um, Atlanta number one, New York number two, Chicago number three. DC number four, DFW five, and Houston six. Um, so basically, big cities. Where, big cities where, are, you that getting, this, where are you getting this information from? Uh, from our from our analytics part on Art nineteen there. So then let's see. So seven is Detroit. That's interesting. No. Uh, eight is Raleigh Durham. I'd go back to Raleigh Durham. Good restaurants. Uh, nine is Seattle. Ten is San Francisco. Eleven finally. Geez, eleven is Philly, and then finally uh, twelve is LA. So I can't I can't justify LA for this, huh? Um, Do you think we but, could get enough people to Atlanta? Uh, you know, I mean, at, at the very least, we could get a couple of our coworkers in the audience. So there's that. I don't want to talk to them. No, just to fill the space, so we're not talking. I don't to want them to be there. I don't. I don't want to deal with shutdown forecast any more than I have to legally. Um, yeah. See, that's the tricky thing. Is it's um, it's really hard for us to find a place. Like people have asked me before in DMs on Twitter. People, I like have an email and be like, you guys should do it live. And I'm like, I'm not opposed to that. I just don't know where you do a show that's so national in scope. And I, I mean, and I, we barely pull off this every week. I, I don't know about something that would actually require organization. Hey man, uh, I'll rise to the challenge. Okay. Um, well, actually, before you do that, like the ideas we've discussed, uh, other travel things, get on that first, then we'll discuss the live. Mm, that Take is a conversation. That, is a, that is a conversation for off the air. Um, <laughs> um, no. Anyway, back to my original point. <laughs> uh, so L.A., UCLA, like it makes perfect sense. You, you know, you it, it's it's L.A. and it's football and there's a decent audience. You can draw at least 50, 60,000, even though that's not quite enough in the Rose Bowl and the Coliseum. You draw even more. It's all great. Like it, it, it makes sense. But like when you walk around UCLA's campus, like even me, I was there for football. I was walking around UCLA's campus and you find yourself thinking like, Oh, this is nice. Football, football really doesn't matter, does it? This is just nice. Wait, were and, you were you on their campus on game day? It was. Uh, it would have been like the morning the of a game day. Yeah, it would have just been. It was just class. I was just walking around because I had never seen the campus. Did before. you haul it out to the Rose Bowl? Yes. Yeah, I went out there. Um, so, that well yeah. that evening. So it was a Thursday night game in the Rose Bowl, and then a Saturday night game in the Coliseum. And um, I gotcha. how long did it take you? Yeah. How long did it take you to get to the Rose Bowl from UCLA? Long time. Quite a while. Oh, actually, no, it was like Rose Bowl first, and then we met a friend for lunch, and then eventually made our way out there, dragged, uh, dragged Feldman out there. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it takes a while. There's no – we hit it relatively well. Getting to UCLA, I stayed in like um, uh, what, like Culver City or somewhere down there relatively close to LAX. And getting to UCLA, like I was supposed to pick up my credential at 9 a.m., so I left the hotel at like 7.30 and got to UCLA at like 9 – 40 like that was paralyzing like that i mean i mean i've i've been around in dc traffic i've been in new york traffic where you know you you're trying to maneuver and all that but you're straight jacket in la you can't maneuver you're just sitting there uh and, and you're sitting there for an hour just to get onto one of the main highways and whatnot that was that was absolutely paralyzing traffic but anyway anyway, anyway. um 
I was the uh, nicest side about traffic in Los Angeles. <laughs> traffic and and us bickering and, and here's a question. Here's, here's a question that we haven't thought of. It has not been discussed. Okay. Really can't believe I'm about to say this. Oh, okay. Okay, stay with me here. And if we have any, <clears throat> okay. by the way, if we have any like Southern California listeners, you can feel free to tell me how wrong or like genius I am on this. In a couple years, you're going to have two new football stadiums in Los Angeles. Okay. Or no, wait. Are they sharing the stadium? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it might only be one. Okay. Uh, you're going to have one new football stadium. I don't know. If it, whatever. Does it make sense for UCLA to get out of the Rose Bowl a little bit? Maybe, maybe pull this move before USC does. Schedule a game once a year, every other year, something like that in the new big fancy Rams Chargers facility. Thoughts? This is uh, this is exactly what I rail against normally, except UCLA doesn't have an on-campus tradition. They have a Rose Bowl tradition, and that's a very different... I mean, they basically play a neutral site game every home game. So my, my counter, I guess, is that I was just talking about how, you know, walking around L.A. and saying I get it. Well, w- when you go to the Rose Bowl, you get it, too. And so it's like, you know, like, man, it's far out here. Man, this is a so pain. Crazy. I just don't know about this. Then you walk into the stadium, you're like, oh... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but they do it. But but they do it every week, Bill. I I, I mean maybe maybe the effects wear off eventually, but it, uh, you know. Yeah, that's my point. Also, it would take a while. It would take a long while for the effects to wear off. I think. I've never done a UCLA home game. You have never covered. A, have you ever been to an actual Rose Bowl? No, I've only I've only done okay. the UCLA home. Game. So we're so we're ill equipped to try and figure out how how different or or funzy is like you know or not funzy like. There's, I walked to the Rose Bowl and some guy wouldn't let me open. Like everyone will open a door for you and they have white gloves on. Is my point. Like I've talked about this. <laughs> it's, it's the Masters and the Kentucky Derby of of like, team sports. It's yeah, ridiculous. I don't recall that. I don't recall that at the US the UCLA Cal Thursday night game. Um, but it, I mean, it was it's fancy and and pretty as hell, and it was hilarious because they actually I mean it was for e- well I think it was ESPN or maybe Fox I think ESPN and um, game kicked off at like six p.m. local time, like a game outside Los Angeles kicked off at six p.m. local time. How many people do you think were there when the game kicked off? Like mm-hmm. I don't like eighteen. There ended up being mm-hmm. like fifty thousand, but they were like yeah. eighteen at kickoff. It was absurd. And of course, that's when everybody took the pictures. I, I I can't remember what other media people were there, but everybody started tweeting pictures of oh capacity crowd. Like well, right. you kicked off at six p.m. local time in L.A. Like what? Of course, there's nobody here. But. So maybe you do it downtown. I'm just saying. Maybe it's I don't know. I feel like I'm not. I don't. I don't feel like I'm a hugely hypocritical in this one because of the distance between the campus and the Rose Bowl. Maybe yeah, it's totally tough. Wrong. It is tough. If anything other than the Rose Bowl, and I'd be right there for you, but I'm, yeah. I'm, a, you know, I'm, it's pretty. Um, I, and, and I will say one of the things I learned when I was there writing that piece was, um, like back in, I think the mid sixties when UCLA was awesome, was winning big under pro throw and they had a, you know, the Heisman with uh Beban and all that. Um, they attempted, there's a big track and field complex there on campus, like right across from, um, the basketball arena and whatnot, there's space there on the kind of the East and the West. Like they, they wanted to make like a, whatever it was, 40,000 seat, 
football stadium there. And they could have absolutely done it. There's there's space for that. Uh, but UCLA butts up next to Bel Air, and uh, a bunch of people threw a fit at the thought of um, 40,000 people being there on Saturdays, not to mention all the construction and everything. Uh, so they vetoed it, and that's why UCLA has to go to the Rose Bowl. Uh, they have a perfect spot for it, but it just it, – it's no, number one, getting there on a Saturday would be amazingly uh, – tough but it would be so pretty to get to westwood instead of to instead of to pasadena well and then to park is what i was thinking of Uh, i gotcha i gotcha okay all right enough already uh this has turned into an episode of the californian so let's just keep the the vibe going with the university of the california um weirdest firing in a while Um, that he was fired made a little bit of sense yeah but I mean, when timing re- timing was ridiculous i was yeah. bill you and i were at afca as that was on yeah. um <laughs> i was on the phone with various like i i was talking to representatives of dykes on the show floor at afca who were and of course they're you know they're with their other clients and a million other things going on everyone had thought the cycle was thought the cycle was over um just a an interesting time to to gather the resources and, and figure it out. But they they had their reasons. Cal did. Um, there was mounting frustration on both sides. It, it, looking back now that the smoke is cleared and I think everybody's calmed down a little bit, it makes a lot of sense. Um, for Sunny Dykes, I think specifically to have to have flirted with Houston twice yeah. so prominently, I think especially pissed off some people in Berkeley mainly because that is an precipice b5 job but it is a g5 job right now um and that just kind of to a lot of people showed where his intent and interest was and at the same time you look over and dykes is a texas guy and cal is (laughs) cal is the antithesis to that in terms of the i'm not i'm not talking about talent i'm not talking about football i'm talking about every single other thing that you deal with in those offices you know uh seven days a week and culturally it just wasn't there Money was a concern for a while. Um, they're debt, they're debt riddled, debt laden, sunken in debt, sunken debt. I don't know. Um, they uh, are not an easy school to get into. Not an easy school to qualify athletes for. Um, all of this, I think, mounted up. The pressure was just it was frustrating, and I, I think ultimately it was just a bad cultural fit. It was a strange hire at the time because Texas Tech was hiring, and I always thought Dykes would go from Louisiana Tech to Texas Tech. Where his right. father coached, but I think he specifically wanted to do something different. Cal offered him a lot of money at the time, um, but the experiment's over. Justin Wilcox is first and foremost. This is a they go they they do 180 degrees. So this is a culture fit. This is a system <laughs> fit. This is a literal like inside that administrative building fit, and that's what they that's what they sought to do and set out to do. Um, Bill, are they going to be good at the football? Um, I'm just gonna go with eventually. Um, okay. So, okay. So, what is this? Three things. First, uh, yeah. The only time I talked, I think Sonny Dykes. I think th- a job like Cal can kind of seduce you a little bit because I, the only time I've ever talked to Sonny Dykes was for the first book for Study Hall, okay. and it was like a month after he had gotten hired. And so he's out there. Uh, he's talking about how, you know, Cal has 27 sports. It's just a different thing. It's so cool. There's such an emphasis on so many different things, and, and it's a neat environment. 
And I think that's something that <laughs> it's like the when, exact same sentence I heard right. in January where they're like, right. they have an emphasis on 27 different things. Right. I think that's it. Like, I think when you're first there, you're like, wow, that's neat. And then after a year when you can't get the attention you think you need and you're from Texas and you're used to football being everything and then you're having to, you know, you can't get this done because, you know, I don't know, the rowing team needs new equipment or whatever. Right. I think after, I think that seduces you for about two months and then it drives you absolutely crazy. Yes. Uh, uh, and and so that's I think what we it's dating the quirky girl right it's the one where wow this is charming and unique and oh god I'm tired of this this is this sucks this is um, do what I said yeah and then it's this is unique yeah um, how my wife and, feels about me I'm sure um, <laughs> but anyway so yeah that's that was tricky and I think it, beca- like, it went maybe a good job yeah maybe. Yeah, like you get out there, and I understand the seduction bill. Like I, I toured that facility, and I, I, I think it was a sunny second year. I was out there for a Stanford thing, and, and and went over to do like just to go. And Bill, like they take you up to the top of Memorial Stadium, and all the all the facilities are built. Gorgeous, absolutely unbelievable. You turn around at the upper deck, and there's like Berkeley slopes down, and then there's the bay, <laughs> and then there's San Francisco. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like I could hear Kerouac in my. I was just. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and you think, oh God, of course you could recruit to this, right? Like, yeah. and I, let's not even get into the whole Stanford thing. But you, you can, you can do this. You can make it work. And then you start to kind of peel back the complexity that is the flagship university of California's, the Cal University system. That's tough. Yeah. The money issues that are involved with state budgeting. The, um, I don't know what you would call it, the mission statement of Cal Berkeley specifically in terms of everything that doesn't have to do with athletics, it does compound. And, you know, Texas is a lot of things, but Texas is a, is a, um, a clean and linear culture when it comes to their emphasis on, on football. And so, I don't know. It's just funny because I know we talked about it when it happened on the show, and I wrote about it a couple times when it happened, and I talked to people on both sides, and it was really weird. I had to call people on both sides when the thing was over and just be like, you know what? I think you're both ex- – like, I think you're – it's right down the middle. You're 50% right, both of you, Like, and I just get it. Let's just make it an, an amicable split. Yeah. And that's tr- that's how I tried to write about it. Um but Wilcox, again, I, I keep focusing on the, like the job. Cal is so weird. I don't know what Wilcox is going to do necessarily to overcome some of the frustrations that Sonny had. But he knows what he's getting into very clearly. Yes. maybe Now, maybe maybe he comes in being a – because he's an alumnus, I believe. Um, no, he went to Oregon, but his first major job was right. – yeah, I know he'd worked there. So, uh, maybe he, he can grease the wheels better. Right. Or just kind of work within what he has and stop asking for things. I don't know. I really don't Kerou- know. Good, good coordinator. Always liked him. Yeah. Kerouac by, Kerouac, by the way, had a had a Notre Dame football offer, if I remember correctly. Um, he played a season and a half at um, Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. Played a season uh, so, and a half. Bad, uh, so, bad shoulder injury, bad knee injury. <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, I mean, he does know what he's getting into. And, and I mean – you know, uh, Dykes never recruited like top 10 or anything like that, but he was getting four star guys. Like he, he left an interesting base of talent. The problem is, and I wrote about this a little bit in today's preview, like succeeding an air raid guy is tricky because chances are like, I've, I've, I've defended air raids for a long time in terms of like, you can have a good defense in the air raid. Um, 
Like it's going to be a different, we have to redefine what good is, but you're going to have a good defense. But in a lot of cases, if you're succeeding an air raid guy, that means the air raid guy left, uh, which is, that means there's a chance he got fired. And if he got fired, it's because the offense was great and the defense was horrific or he was flirting with Houston, you know, either or. But regardless, so now Wilcox enters a situation where the offense almost certainly will regress. Um, now, I mean, he made a great hire, hiring uh, Baldwin from Eastern Washington. I mean, that's that was an inspired hire, and maybe it still works. But really a, a tough uh, situation to inherit because the offense really can't improve all that much, so technically it can only stay the same or go down. Uh, and then you have to make something of the mess that was the Cal defense last year. And, you know, he, you know, he hired um, uh, Tim DeRuiter, which, I mean, we've talked about DeRuiter before. If he still has it as a defensive coordinator, which, I mean, you never know. He, he could have just lost it. I know, you know, he, he seems to run a base 3-4. He doesn't – maybe he maybe he doesn't do enough nickel. Maybe that's going to backfire him, blah, blah, blah. Last time he was a defensive coordinator, he was awesome. So I think uh, DeRuiter had a, a very Dykes-type situation in Fresno. I, I think he didn't maintain talent enough. I think he had a better situation in Fresno because, well, because he's not in the Pac-12 uh, and he can recruit. He's one of a, just a few FBS mid-majors in California. So you have kind of a built-in recruiting advantage there to some degree, but he just couldn't maintain, like the, the, the good recruits he got weren't, didn't play like good recruits. That was just a not very talented team at the end of his uh, tenure, which yeah. gives me hope in this case because it's not just that he didn't know how to coach. Fresno's um, another really unique place, though, is what I'm saying. I, I just think he came in with the – he didn't understand the Valley. I mean, really – Yeah, possibly. Pat Hill understood the Valley, and kind of that's it. Uh, it that, that's another job that, like – I mean, to bring it full circle, like what Fresno does moving forward is going to be super interesting. Um, anyway, uh, but sorry, anyway, not no, to G5 no. it there for a second. <laughs> but, yeah, that's right. we gotta we got to stay on brand when we can. Um so uh, if if he is a can still run a good 3-4 when all his uh responsibilities are are focused on that and not, you know, on running a program, then in theory the defense will improve. It, it like the offense can't really get worse uh or can't really get better. The defense can't really get all that much worse. And so uh there there's decent uh experience on the defensive side of the ball the secondary should be pretty good really there's a chance that they the defense could improve as much as the offense regresses great now look at their schedule at north carolina Mm. and then after 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 weber state Ole miss at home usc at home at oregon at washington washington state at home Mm. they could be a top 50 team and be like two and five after seven games, two and five or three and four. So then they get Arizona, which I mean, that's a potential refresher then at Colorado uh, or an improved Oregon state at home. And then at Stanford and at UCLA crap. I mean like that's that's almost good. I mean like the projection, the S and P projection, I have them 55th and five and seven. Like that's, it's really hard to figure out a path to five, to better than maybe six and six if a bunch of close games work right. But in a re- in a way, that's almost for a guy's first year, especially when you're trying to change from air raid to something slightly less air raidy. That might be good. Like when, when your schedule's that brutal, you kind of understand going in. There's not any chance of some like out of nowhere ten and two run right here. Just you know, accept that this isn't going to be an Im- immensely successful year and build for 2018, where you could actually. They would have enough pieces returning in 2018 that they could be pretty exciting. I just, my mind wandered off because I forgot my alma mater is playing at uh, 
Cal this year. I wonder <laughs> how many. How, are you, how have you not signed up for that game? I'm just saying I wonder how many Clarksdale trial lawyers and their trophy wives are going to book a trip and do wine country at the same time. I could just imagine the accents rolling through there. Y'all got rosé? I'm going to put this in a cup. Um, Sorry. <sighs> um, we got a lot of questions. Do you want to touch yeah. on any other schools that in the preview realm first? Um, because between now and next show, you are going to be how far along? Well, since the last show I did, the Arizonas, which I think we covered a little bit. Yeah, and, we did uh, that. And Oregon, and, which we'll, you've covered before and we'll cover again. Oregon State was on Monday. I actually think Gary Anderson's getting somewhere. Um, but Whoa, back up now. Really? They also have a schedule about as nasty as or as Cal's, so it's not going to matter. They're going to be super okay. improved. Okay. They're going to be top 50, 60, and they're going to be 5 and 7. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes so sense. It's, so you, it's, nobody's going to notice that they've improved. Just kind of like last year. They actually took some really nice steps forward last year, and nobody noticed. Um, so Very interesting. Like good, good football coach, despite what uh, what certain people in Wisconsin say. Well, well, I know. Like I, I Anyway. What was your thoughts? So Barry Alvarez came out um, a couple days ago, basically said that like Anderson didn't want to be there. Anderson didn't want to buy into the system. I mean, I can tell you, you don't buy into a system or a culture at Wisconsin. You just buy into Barry Alvarez running your right. He is the culture. Yeah, so he went twenty and seven. I mean, if if they want to bitch about him and and say he wasn't ready or whatever, he went twenty and seven. They had top twenty S and P both years. They were fine. They were good both years. Yeah. Um, And but he left, and that's why they don't like him. Uh, When 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 you leave voluntarily and you don't get pushed out, they are going to yeah, especially for Oregon State, they are going to resent you, and that's just the way it works in fandom. Anyway, so tomorrow I got Utah. Friday I've got Washington State. Um, Monday, Stanford, Tuesday, Colorado, Wednesday, USC. Mm. So kind of a fun week here. I'm somehow already halfway done with the damn second power conference on the list. Just flying this year. Haven't really taken any days off. So expect some days off here over the next couple of months. Thank you. Uh, let's, let's do this. Let's wrap up. Let's put a bow on the PAC 12 next week. We talk about like the, your USC's and Stanford's yeah. and whatnot. Um, we're going to try and get uh, Mitch light on from Athlon. Uh, cause if you haven't bought your Athlon, you should. You go out to your grocery store, or I used to say like bookstore, but those things don't exist. Um, get you an Athlon because me and Bill are all up in it. Yeah, and Ian Boyd. Like uh, you cannot escape SB Nation in this year's Athlon. We're like a disease. Um, That's right. I'm going to start here just because this question pertains to one of the schools we just talked about. Uh, and Keith Sharma. I hope I got your name right. Uh, you brought up Chip Kelly to UCLA. Is that just a splashy look at us hire, or do you think that actually puts UCLA on the right track, Bill? Argue me or argue with me if you feel different, but no, I think it would definitely put UCLA on the right track. It, I'm I'm fascinated by it because you know of all of the stuff that Chris Brown wrote about uh, heading into last season, where suddenly he wasn't really an offensive innovator at all, where he had kind of almost regressed to a pro a generic pro style kind of offense because he didn't have the pieces to do what he wanted, and he kind of made some philosophical changes and whatnot. I'm curious what that means if or when he goes back to the college ranks. Uh, does he just flip back to, okay, now I'm going to break out the, the Dennis Dixon playbook again. Let's go. Or has his philosophy changed? And I, mm-hmm. I, that's, I think, I mean, he has, he has the cachet. He's been to a national title game with a Pac-12 team. Clearly, it would be a huge hire. Um, but 
there are some questions that I have that I don't think we're going to have an answer to until we actually see him get hired and start actually coaching again. It's, it's really interesting to me, uh, the, just the way he evolved, well, devolves almost, uh, what that actually means when he, when he's back in the college ranks. Rasmus is really good, but I definitely think it's, I think that, um, the arrested development is, is sourced directly to the NFL problems that he was having. So right. And, and quite possibly. Yeah. It's, it's quite give possible. Give him LA right? athletes in LA without having to, to really do go the anywhere. Oregon workaround. Uh, it would be weird to see him with an Adidas school. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to come in and probably make some big demands up front. They're going to spend the money. I mean, and, and I think bringing Chip in is going to be a dramatic commitment towards, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're heading in the right direction with facilities and that kind of stuff, but they, they'll have to do more of that. They'll, um, you know, he, he'll make some big demands. He, he, he wants that factory that he had in Eugene in order to come back. Um, uh, at Illegal Screens... Uh, who's going to be better in 2018, Cal or Oregon State? Um, I like that question because he said 2018. That, that made it tricky. Yeah. Um, without – I don't have their schedules in front of me. I'm just going to pick Oregon State. Well, he said better. He didn't say, uh, more, yeah. you know, who, more successful with schedules and whatnot. I, 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 since I saw that question pop up, I've gone back and forth a couple times. Um I think Cal will be a little better this year. You won't be able to tell with the record because they'll both be a little, you know, they'll be roughed up a little bit. I think Cal uh, will be a little better this year and then probably a step better next year. But Oregon is rising too. I think Cal just has a little more talent, basically, uh, and that's going to help them. But, uh, you know, then again, Gary Anderson has a head start. So maybe they do poke ahead a little bit here. We'll see. Um. I needed to do research on this, but I'm just reading it in real time. Andy Davenport, at, at Andy underscore Davenport. You mentioned Fedora as a possible uh, Texas A&M candidate on the hot seat column. He'll be 55 this fall. How old is too old to be a new P5 hire? 55 is not too old at all. Yeah, 55 is definitely not too old. I mean, he, uh, he is, a P, but he's already a P5 coach. I think that's the big thing that you have to look at. I mean, uh, he's he's been in the P5. He's just been in a unique situation in North Carolina, trying to kind of shake off some of the stuff that he didn't know he was getting when he went there from from uh, Southern Miss. So, no, I think 55 is fine. I know, gosh, who's the oldest recent P5 hire? I can think of Mike Riley's in his 60s. Yeah, was in his happened. was I think was 60 when he got hired in Nebraska. Um, so, gosh, we're thinking off the top of my head really fast. I mean, 60 year olds are getting jobs. So right. I mean, yeah, you've, I don't just, really think that's an age, issue. We talk about age is 65 and, and you, you know, you'd love to make every hire we make. We want it to, to believe it's like the guy who's going to lead us to championships for 20 years. Doesn't usually uh, actually work that way. So 55 is definitely not too old. Checking Willie Fritz's age. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he's quite that, that old. Willie Fritz is 57. I mean, he'll oh. probably be at Tulane another year or two. And then, you know, if he were to, if he were to turn Tulane around, Having translated what he did so well at the FCS at Georgia Southern for a brief amount of time, I think he'd be a yeah, I think he'd be a Power Five candidate at the right Power Five job. Um, I, that would make sense to me. Um, we gotta go. We gotta talk about Willie Fritz once a week. Um, let's see. I'm looking through. Um, man, I, I'm afraid to answer this one because I might end up feeling stupid. But our, our friend Carl at Joker Strength says I was gonna skip this one. Is there a quick delineation between the four two five and the nickel? Um, there can be, but not. Re- I mean, the way coaches use the terminology, maybe, but not really. Um, I mean, in the end, it's it's 
all a variation of two safety, a third safety that is kind of a nickel back. And so, um, you know, from coach to just like a three, four for one coach doesn't mean a three, four to another. You can find differences in there, but not really. Um, four, two, five had a big stigma in power five football in the early aughts because people were still very adherent to the four, three. Yeah. They've and given up on that. They, well, yeah, they've well, given up Patterson that. helped help knock those walls down, but there were, so a lot of schools that were undersized were running four two fives as a way to to compensate when they would lose recruiting battles on on like big time linebackers. But now, I mean, hell, nickels based because of what offenses did. It really didn't have anything to do with recruiting defense. It was just a response to offenses. So, I mean, really, the major difference here is that um, you know some people will use a nickel because they have to, and some just say, okay, this is our philosophy now. Um, but really, it's still. The college football offenses absolutely necessitated necessitated it because there are a lot of really good slot receivers that 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 uh, outside linebackers can't handle, and so um, you know whether you still consider the four three your base defense or whatever, you're using a nickelback a lot in college football now. So um, well, and, and the other thing too that we should point out is that linebackers themselves a lot lighter and faster. Even say yeah, in a lot of yeah, you can still find a, a two hundred forty five pounder occasionally, but yeah, yeah those outside because I mean the yeah the responsibilities like if you're in Tim DeRuiter's system, then I mean you're at least that the kind of that ru- I don't remember what lingo he uses, but you know there's basically kind of like a rush end as one of the outside linebackers, but in a lot of systems, yeah, an outside linebacker is just gonna be covering slot receivers a lot, and so it is different. It's one of the it's one of the things I've learned to just completely ignore as uh, as the years go by, and I continue to embed with different coaches and you know i'm not chris brown i don't i don't binge on this stuff year round but for the purposes of telling a single story i will try and learn as much as i can before i go to the team then i will learn as much as i can when i'm with the team you know it's funny though like i spent a ton of time with army's defensive coordinator in their defensive meeting room but we it just we were not talking about philosophy everything was situational a lot of off-field stuff but just it was i mean it's hard to talk about that in general because they're an option team playing another option team. Um, I'm rambling, but the thing that you should take away from this is that four two five nickel, whatever. It's kind of like the conversation we just had about the spread. The, yeah, more, yeah. the more time I spend with coaches, the more I realize that we are using the labels. It's us. It's yeah. not coaches. They're going to they're going to be able to find. You can put four defenses that are described as three four next to each other. And I can watch coaches find a million differences, a million differences. And I'm not even talking about play calling terminology. I'm just talking about the, the way that they coach their backers to do something, how shallow their, their safeties are in particular situations. And then at the same time, you can see two defenses that look completely different to us, to me and you, that are essentially the same, the same thing, the same motivation, the same structure, the same pattern, the same philosophy. They're just lined up different maybe because of the talent on the roster. So the yeah. best advice I can give you is to don't really try and put things in buckets because it's not really going to work. And our, our friend Manny Diaz in the podcast you didn't listen to talked a little bit about that too. Um, I had a kid. <laughs> Whatever. I still don't have – I don't have actual physical uh, visual proof of that. Um, of Jan- of yeah, Big Jim Godfrey? 
Well, I mean, I've seen it on Instagram, but like I said last week, I, I don't know that that's yours. That could just be some picture. I, it was just know. some baby. I found. That's right. I'm um, sending you a picture of him right now. He's already pretty tall. He's he's mine. Um. <laughs> but anyway, so what his point was like, yeah, you're you're sending in in, in rundowns. You're sending this many at the line. It, it, the the differences are slight. You know, is this guy standing or not? That's the difference between four three and three four sometimes. Um. So yeah, it is kind of minimal. Uh. Here's one at, at Al A L Stobart. Uh, 13, how much of the regression in the TCU defensive late can it be attributed to the retirement of Dick Bumpus? You know, I kind of wonder because I, like, so last two years, uh, TCU has undergone a lot of turnover in personnel as well. And last year, their secondary was constantly banged up. Um, they, they had a bunch of guys playing five, six, seven, eight games. The linebacker missed time. Uh, you know, it, it was kind of a mess personnel wise. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of that way in 2015 too. They did lose mm-hmm. a lot from that 2014 team, mm-hmm. but man, so Dick Bumpus, the, the, the last three years or their first three years in the big 12 with Bumpus on staff, they were 14th, 12th and 15th in defensive S and P plus last two years without him, they're 59th and 51st. Again, personnel, sure, but damn. I mean, that's that's stark and linear and just like you, you do wonder at that point uh, if, if they are missing him more than we maybe thought they would. Hard to tell, I think, because of the injuries. Hard to tell. We'll see. Maybe a good, maybe a good topic for uh, let's give it one more year. Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, they they have experience now in the secondary, especially that they didn't have – uh, because of all the injuries, among other things, they had a little bit rebuilding to do up front, uh, but the linebackers and, and secondary should be excellent. Uh, in theory, in, under normal circumstances, would be excellent for TCU. So yeah, we'll see now. I'm not going to staff a lot of games this year, like like go to a lot of games this year, um, because we'll be working on like different features, and I'm going to be doing some NFL stuff, and we kind of move away from that year by year at SB Nation. But I'm really intrigued by TCU and Arkansas. Um, <laughs> because it's week two and because both of those schools are, I mean, it's not as, it's not as fun to make the jokes. Like I hyped up the Arkansas Auburn thing for so long and then hyped. Oh, I'm sorry. Not the Arkansas. Uh, wait, what was, Oh, Oh, A&M and Auburn last year. I'm sorry. Remember the A&M right. Auburn thing? Like I just hyped that beyond belief about, you know, hot seat, the hot seat bull and all that. It's not like that. So, so much because I like Arkansas is very committed to Bielma. And TCU obviously is extremely committed to Patterson. Um, I mean, we're really just two years shy away from people still mentioning Patterson with every job opening, only because they didn't really respect TCU. I think um, it's just an interesting game to me because a loser of that game will probably have to get a little more introspective than they want to um, because they're both very entrenched in what they want to do. So it's in Fayetteville, I think. Yeah, it's in Fayetteville because um, it's a CBS game. <sighs> Bill, um, let's do a softball. Uh, just because I know my, the answer to this right off the top of my head. Uh, Mr. At Mr. Colin Flowers asks, what's your favorite college football pregame tradition? Uh, thinking about this as I got teary-eyed to WVU fans singing Take Me Home Country Roads. So mine is uh, Inner Sandman at Virginia Tech. So it's super easy for me to answer. Um... I will say the the one that I've gotten to witness that I felt was dramatically overrated. Um, maybe it's just because it was too long. The tunnel walk at Nebraska. Um, 
I expected it, you know, the, the way the fans had described that, I expected it to be just blown away by it. But it was almost like two full minutes of a camera walking, following guys through. By the time they get to the field, you're like, okay, let's go. Let's pick it up here. And so that kind of ruined it for me. Um, the the, the Clemson Clemp, running down the hill is pretty great just because of the tension involved and, oh, God, yeah. nobody fall. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so I've always kind of enjoyed that one. That, the, that's uh, nice I think everybody's doing a tunnel of their their version of a tunnel walk now with the with yeah. the amount of money that's coming into athletic departments. Everyone has their own video production team, and so like I'd say probably every game I'm at, there's some sort of camera on the team as they get ready yeah. to come through the tunnel or get ready to you know go for the locker room. So that one's kind of a, a moot point now. It's not but as, it's not as special. Interstatement's fun because they always they always time it to where the crowd has lulled for just a second. So there's yep. never like it's not a crescendo, it's an explosion, and that makes a, a, a huge difference. Um let's see. I thought I found one a second ago. Where'd it go? <laughs> uh speaking of Clemson at uh shaking the uh, shaking the Southland at ST Southland. Can you reassure me that Clemson's quarterback situation won't turn into an AM two five stars transferring situation? No, I cannot. Um, no, I mean, the coaching at play, uh, there have been fewer transfers at Clemson than at A&M. So yes, technically it is less likely, but, uh, star quarterbacks are, are, are tough to maintain. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm going to flip to email. I just had, I found an email from 12 hours ago, actually, that I kind of enjoyed. It's very, very PAPN. It it looks like it just came to me. Um, our friend Thor, I'm going to say Shelver, Thor Shelver. Uh, Mr. Connolly, this was just to me, but it's PAPN question. I was listening to one of your old podcasts about the Sunbelt realignment and the schools mentioned reminded me of their FCS days. So I was thinking, is there a future for the major land grant and flagship schools remaining in the FCS to move up to FBS one day? So I know that for some university presidents, that label of flagship or land grant signifying it as one of the most important schools in that state kind of matters. In particular, I'm thinking about... Montana, Montana State, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, etc. Those football powerhouses of the level below without a MAC slash Sunbelt slash CUSA level conference in the West, are these schools set to remain an even more obscure oddity than the low G5, or would it be possible for them to form their own conference? Would these schools even want to consider FBS, especially with the Idaho slash NMSU drama? And just jumping onto this, I'm adding a caveat. Do these programs have a future in the FBS without a promotion relegation system? I ask as an avid follower of major college football and regular listener, uh, but at one of those schools, and I'm not really a fan of playing small, uh, regional teams like... uh, Oh, sorry. I'm not really a fan of playing small regional teams like Northern Colorado, Southern Utah, and Eastern Washington every year. Now, Eastern Washington, uh, they they would not have finished last in the Pac-12 last year. I'll say that. But um, so the point being, big school like the big state school, Montana, Montana State, North Dakota State, etc. He he didn't mention North Dakota or South Dakota, but you could almost mention them too, along with the the states there. Um, what could be their I'm trying to, well, no, number one, I mean, I, I think like, like Montana, North Dakota state could be of, of use to the mountain West. If the mountain West ever decided it, it wanted to expand a little bit more, which I don't think it will, but if they did like that, those schools would make far more sense than like a New Mexico state would, for instance, but. Hmm. Okay. This all kind of has to be TBD. 
because well, yeah, we so don't possibly. know, well, no, because we don't know what the bottom of the G five is going to be. Maybe even in five years, um, the designation of moving up may change. So we may actually just kind of move the goalposts rather than keep adding these schools. You are at a disadvantage, yes, because you are in the West population and television market and all that kind of stuff. The problem is those are old tools that we're using to measure worth. Um, I would like, obviously, I would like to see. I don't know, Bill. I mean, like, do we just keep adding and adding and adding? like? I love watching those games and Montana, Montana State. Like, for what's left on my college football bucket list is definitely on there. But is it worth that? Like, if it was, a tough time, I have a tough time looking and going. All right, twenty more schools, Division One or FBS. I mean, you know me, more the merrier. But I think I it, it does. It does. Um, you know, point to a couple of things that actually I talked about in the commissioner uh, piece series feature, whatever we call that, that giant mass package that, we, that I put out last week package. There we go. Um, number one is, you know, a, a lot of that piece to me was based around what, what I put in the, in the kind of that intro page about, we always, when we're talking about the future of college football, it's always based on the power five and uh, you know, are they going to move up? Are they going to separate? Da, 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 da. Uh, we have to be really, really careful. Like the biggest threat to football for me, especially college football, um, you know, the safety measures are what they are. Par- you know, youth football participation declining is what it is. Parents saying, I- I'm not going to have my son play football. We'll see. Possibly that's true. Possibly that's a bluff. But regardless, the worst thing that college football as an, as an entity can do is – focus more attention on the top schools and kind of suffocate the bottom schools. So, you know, sim- simply because the more teams that drop, the more teams that offer scholarships or opportunities, easy access to Pell Grants, et cetera, to play college football and get an education through that, if we are, if they are dropping the sport, if more teams drop the sport or drop a level, et cetera, and therefore don't offer as many opportunities, that means there are fewer opportunities to play football. And so... I can absolutely see a situation like one of the I think the long term scenarios on the table is, yeah, the power five kind of splits apart. And then that second subdivision or whatever we call it becomes the group of five plus like big sky schools and southern conference schools and maybe the Southland conference. And, you know, it becomes kind of this mass of eight or ten of the the G5 plus five good um, FCS conferences. I mean, a that provide that that's a hell of a league. There's a lot of really fun teams in that in that quote unquote subdivision, but unless the separation of the Power Five means they're offering a hundred scholarship and and all these other teams are offering eighty five now, depending on how this happens, we end up with less scholarships available to play college football, and that's a bad thing if you care about the future of college football. So that's kind of where I, I I get a little I get a little worried thinking about that and and that's why I just fall back on hey more the merrier because it's more scholarships more teams to talk about and more scholarships I think so but I just I worry about the critical mass on the revenue side and yeah. what and what we define as successful and and what's manageable in terms of you know already we're seeing g5 schools that are you know just completely ill-equipped to to handle competing and recruiting and everything else with with, with P5s that aren't even consequential, you know, just because of the, the television contract money. And then I'm sitting here thinking, I'll be honest, I don't have a good answer to this. I can ramble on it for a while, but I just, I want to, God forbid me saying this, Bill, because I'm enjoying very much the warm weather and the quiet days, but like I'm a little, 
anxious to get to some of these conference events. Like I took paternity leave. So SEC meetings are right now and Big 12 meetings start today, but I can't as we record this. I didn't want to leave home yet. But like when I get to the media events and start talking to people and go back and do campus visits and stuff, I'm just curious what the temperature is on the future because there's – yeah, of course I would love to see like Montana and North Dakota State in in FBS and in bowl games and stuff, but I don't know how confident people are in the overall system. It's weird, Bill. I'm working on a thing about explaining out the Oklahoma hysteria, how that popped for a second while I was out, and how it's going to happen again here soon. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I – I mean, I'm part of me thinking like the next big change may start at the bottom. It may be the fact that like CUSA and Sunbelt and all these conferences say, hey, we can't maintain this. This is pointless. And let, like, we have to change something fundamentally here. And maybe that's what causes the, the change because that's going to directly affect your favorite Power Five team and how they schedule and how they pay these schools. And how they and how a lot of these schools in the P five who are trying to get kind of some more budget deals going with the one and ones and hey there's Miami at App State and all that it, it, it's a it's almost like a ripple effect or, or you know um, it's like instead of trickle down it's trickle up I think maybe maybe that's how the the, the next iteration of college football begins. I think it'd be really interesting. Um, I, you know, we we are fans of Mike Oresco, fans of the AAC. You know, I understand why, just in terms of short term marketing and whatnot, why they they're really trying to focus on. You know, we are it's a Power Six. We are, you know, we we have a seat. We should get a seat at the table, et cetera. I know why they do that. Of course, it's really easy to die on that hill, and it would be fascinating. If they basically instead turned around and said, "Okay, you know what? We are going to lead." Everybody else, you know, we are going to uh, take the lead on what mid-major football is going to become. And, and you can be a great team and be a mid-major. You can be like kind of a, in a way, kind of accepting your fate. You know, that's not good. Average. That's not good PR in the short term. Um, but like, I mean, and, and I'm not just talking about my G5 Champions League here, but it's always on the damn table. It's just FYI. Um, but it, it really. The you're right in a sense that, you know, the, the whole trickle up, like if there was something interesting and creative uh, happening that others could buy into the Montana's and the really good FCS schools and a lot of the mid majors that don't really know what their future is. um, You could have some interesting ideas there, but it's, uh, you know, right now, if if the AAC is just going to try to compete with the big 12 and say, we're better than the big 12 without ever actually, it's never going to actually lead anywhere. It's just going to be good short-term press. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which again, I understand why you do that, but you know, if if they were to try to take the lead and do something weird and creative and bold, as while acknowledging we are a mid major and we are always going to be a mid major, there's no way around it, or at least in this environment, until things change, we are a mid major. Um, I don't know, like that. I I still think the idea of like a Champions League situation where you have the best mid majors uh, facing off every week where you actually could have a conference that's about as good as the Big 12 was last year, um, that, that, that still seems – it's completely unrealistic, I realize, but it still seems like maybe the best way to show uh, – to, to be competitive and interesting at that level. I don't Here's know. another one. I mean, they Here's always, another one, by the way, since – Okay. I'm, I'm, oh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying it's just so hard to change the thinking there because you're, you, you've got individual athletic directors at the top of – so wherever you cut – Wherever you cut, let's let's say tomorrow for I don't know how this works, but 
I haven't thought this out, but hypothetically, let's say there really is a power six, okay? Or there's, I don't know, let's just say Big 12 expansion did happen. And you and they took four AAC teams, the directional Florida, Cincinnati, Houston, okay? So whatever you're left with, they draft out of the CUSA and the Sun Belt, and the cycle repeats itself. And then at the very bottom, the same thing happens where they bring up schools like North Dakota State and um, Eastern Kentucky, so on and so forth. They're, you're going to, in two or three years, have a top line again at that whatever the hell the American is at that point. Uh, I'm trying to think, who would be the biggest school out of that equation? Eastern Carolina? I guess. Oh, SMU. Yeah. You know, like SMU, Eastern Carolina. They would be the next tier of schools fighting, scratching like hell to get in because of the television revenue. Yeah. That's really, I think I'm just sort of talking myself through this, is that if the, if the deals fall apart and if the Big 12 dissolves in the way people think right now that it would. It, it really, I think if Texas makes a move for independence, Oklahoma leaves and takes one or two schools with them, what if you have the schools regress down and then the American takes Iowa State? The American right. takes like, Kansas, you know, State. Kansas State. Um, then, you have a, then you have a unique change. I think that it's just always going to be impossible to create a line of demarcation without the school right at the cutoff trying to jump over the line. It's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. And the other thing is that you're going to have schools that devalue, which goes back to your whole relegation pitch, I understand, but you're always going to, you're going to have schools that devalue that probably shouldn't belong there, that they get there because of history and a bunch of other unfair stuff. So um, maybe nothing. Maybe, really that's, maybe that's the AAC's game right here. You're just waiting out the Big 12 uh, to see what the next thing <laughs> I mean, I think what happens right, next. Yeah. I really do. I think you might. I think it's. I'll tell you what, Bill, and we'll move on. Uh, I think it's likelier that you have a conference, uh, an AAC with Iowa State and Kansas State in it, than you have a Big 12 with Houston and Cincinnati in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of AAC related. So uh, this was, and this one also just came to me. Include uh, Escott Jr. at gmail.com in these emails. Um, so uh, my Jim, personal pop, email. Pop, yeah. I thought that was the one you you advertised. I don't listen to your pitch. What where where should they Oh well, okay that one then. Um, my, I still use Gmail, so whatever. Uh, podcast ain't played nobody. G five path to the playoff. Our friend Rafael Rocca. Uh, I, uh, let's see, love the podcast. Uh, I think the other day you guys were talking about if there was a path to the playoff for the G5. I agree that it's pretty much impossible. With that said, had Houston gone undefeated last year as AAC champs, that would have included wins against Navy Temple uh, in the championship game and then Oklahoma and Louisville as well. Would they have made the playoffs? I think on that scenario, we would be comparing 13-0 and Houston to 12-1 and Washington. So in that scenario, Houston's top two wins are against uh, in the final playoff rankings, number seven, Oklahoma, and 13, Louisville, uh, whereas Washington was looking at number 10, Colorado, and number eight, uh, 18, Stanford, as their top wins. I think one could argue either way, but if the answer is Washington would still be in, then yes, I agree, there's no path. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we, we obviously talked about this a lot during the season. Like, that's, there's like one team at the beginning of the year that has a legitimate schedule and enough of a preconceived level of quality to get into the playoff in any given year. And, and um, that sucks, but that's, that is the situation. And Houston was that team. And I honestly, 
maybe I've just grown cynical over the last 12 months. I think they pick Washington in that case. No matter, Houston would have had the perfect, perfect mid-major resume. And I think they still might have picked Washington there. You got to be, I think you got to go more semantic. You'd have to look at blowouts. You'd have to look at style points. I think if you're, if it's the Houston that, that beat Louisville and they did that and didn't lose, then maybe they get in. Maybe you sway people. Maybe. Yeah. Also, and they would have started real backdoor politics, backroom politics. I think they do it because Larry Scott would tolerate it quietly, <laughs> whereas like you know the Big Twelve would burn their house down. Obviously, and the SEC was. I think Larry Scott is more. He's such a long con guy, and I say that in a, as a complimentary, complimentary fashion. Um, maybe it happens. I might take Houston in that situation because you're talking about Herman. You're talking about the full PR experience of Houston at that point. Yeah, so, yeah. If they hadn't lost, like that would have been. What does Oklahoma do in this situation? Oklahoma yeah, were, as the quality win. I'm saying in this hypothetical, does Oklahoma lose to Houston and then have the exact same season that they actually had? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, in theory. So, okay. Yeah, they were. Uh, they were. They were seventh. Like you said, they were seventh. The top two yeah, wins. I think it were, works, man. I I, I I hope in this alternate universe that it does work because I mean, you know that that was well, I, I've said it a million times like that's if if we aren't going to change and if if the group of five is still um, part of FBS then we really do probably need to move to an eighteen playoff so that we can get an auto bid in there and then like legitimately at the beginning of the year everybody can say they have a shot at the national title uh, but. To get to an 18 playoff, we have to take care of these students better. We have to make sure that they uh, have all a lot of the things that those Northwestern players were asking for and make sure they're actually, you know, this extra, this extra round of money that comes in doesn't just go to, uh, you know, strength and conditioning coaches. But anyway. Phil. Yeah. We done? I don't know. You want to be done? Um. Well, I mean, we, yeah, what, this is the most, this is a <laughs> yeah, I have things to do. Um, yeah, we'll wrap it up there. Um, I don't like you being a nihilist. I, I hate to end the show that way, but, um, that's my job by the way. So one, stay off my wave and two, uh, I need you to be a, I need you to be more optimistic. Um, I do, but I guess you were a little optimistic in the end when you said in order, you know, we would, <laughs> this would dictate the need for an 18 playoff, but you know, only if they treat the kids better. That was sweet. Yeah, like that like that's going to be their primary concern when they expand to eight. Well, they can accidentally do it. You know, they can do it in a roundabout way without realizing they were doing it. It's always got to focus. I'll leave you with this. Uh, I got in the mail while I was on leave. I think it was about a week ago. This big glossy kind of thick magazine thing from the playoff, and I didn't know what it was. Open it up. You, you know how you can tell something's like a book or a magazine, the package. <laughs> and uh, it was like a giant brag book of dumb like PR facts from the playoff. It was the biggest waste of time and and but I mean this was like a glossy stock professionally designed probably yeah. probably 40 50 page magazine of just dumb things about like it was like a giant economic impact press release put out by the playoff and I'm thinking does, like who the hell is going to take this and use it as some sort of uh talking point on a radio show or a podcast or a blog post or whatever. They just do stuff that seems so contrite sometimes and also so costly. I wanted to honestly, and they can't do it by the way that it's all structured and housed, so we can't get it through public records, but like, who the hell paid for this dumb thing? 
I want to know, like, where did that money come from? But, alas. Bill. <laughs> yeah. We're doing all right through the offseason. I feel good. Oh, yeah. We're back in the swing of things. We're almost to June. Tomorrow's June. I don't really understand how that's possible. I didn't even have a kid, and May went by really weird and fast for me, so... I feel solid. Yeah. May's the tough month, I feel like. June June has a, an anticipatory quality to it. Um, and if then May's honestly, not yeah. slow as hell, it's because something really stupid and bad that we don't want to talk about happened. So, I know, which was so yes. funny to see. Like It was like someone trying to start a gas fire. Like, And again, I'm not logged into Twitter every day. I'm not following it the way I normally would with the Oklahoma stuff, which is why I do want to come back and touch on it in a written piece. You could see, like, it was almost like an involuntary gag reflex from the media of, like, there's nothing going on, realignment. Like, it was just, like yeah. they just barfed it Oh, thank God we have something to talk about now, yeah. And, and it, you know, it's still way, by the way, it's way, 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 way too early for that with Oklahoma. But you can still talk about it if you want, I guess. So, all right. You want to do it again next week, Bill? Let's do it again next week. All right. We'll do it again next week. Love you. Roll Tide.